Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Welcome, everybody, In the Booth. Day after a big road win for the uh, Syracuse basketball team in Columbus last night. Kind of dig this ACC Big Ten challenge. It was great this year with so many close games. In fact, although it didn't feel like a 10-point game for most of it, the uh, Syracuse win at Ohio State turns out to be one of the more lopsided wins in that uh, series. The only two real blowouts, Michigan club North Carolina last night. John Beeline has a loaded team, and Duke had no trouble at home with Indiana. I think the Michigan one of those two is a little more surprising. But those are the only two real blowouts. Uh, maybe a couple other games here and there that weren't quite as competitive. But every other game seemed like it came down to the final possession and a couple of them down to the final shot. Michigan State won in overtime at Louisville. Iowa held off Pitt in the final minute to win by a point. And uh, some other close games throughout. Florida State winning in a last-second shot, five seconds to go last night uh, against Purdue. So uh, that does the body good. And uh, Syracuse women's basketball in action tonight in a uh, similar type game. They're at uh, Minnesota, a matchup of two ranked teams. So that would be one of the marquee games in the women's version of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Not to mention it's a return for Syracuse, uh, not to Minnesota so much, but to run into some of the leadership of Minnesota who uh, previously was uh, here at Syracuse. Uh, the athletic director, Mark Coyle, after a short stint, here has been there a couple of years now, and uh, John Cunningham, uh, one of his uh, right hand uh, men and women, then uh, that had some ties to here. So uh, interesting with that. And Brian will have the call for you tonight on uh, ESPN Radio ninety seven seven. We'll also have the Jim Beheim show, second of the season, as uh, we head over to Carabas tonight to uh, check out uh, Coach Beheim and get his thoughts uh, really in an extended way about last night's game and a look ahead to the Bayheim battle. Jimmy and Buddy on the court against one another. Buddy did not play in the game last night, but uh, you can bet on his appearance Saturday in the Dome. That's an 8 o'clock start, the Orange and uh, Cornell. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can do that at 315-437-7644 ESPN 44. Paulie is in the house. I just made it back. Yes. Once to the I, delight of all of us. Once I got up by double digits last night, though, last night's game I didn't ever think was in was in doubt. It was no, a, it was a no. I mean, it was, I, a, good, I, it was I a great win. I don't think much of any game is in doubt once you get up double digits. But no, last night they, you know, we all had a good feeling about it going in. They got off to a horrible start. That's the only thing that uh, really gave me any pause. Syracuse has better players than Ohio State, and I think if they played a seven game series, uh, Syracuse would have no trouble winning it. Uh, that being said, you're playing on the road. Syracuse hadn't played very well, hadn't been shooting it well, needed to, to bounce back. Just the second game for Frank Howard, who, by the way, has not made a turnover in the two games that he has played. He's uh, played only, let's say, half of two games, just over 40 minutes of playing time, but no turnovers. And that's been very good. And uh, things clicked the way they should have last night. The defense struggled at the beginning 
and improved. Here's what Coach Beheim told us after the game. Made some shots. I was really proud of the way we got a bad start, and they just came back, and they wouldn't give in. A lot of calls went against us, and it didn't matter. They didn't let it bother them. They just kept playing, kept going after the ball. Pascal made a good block there at the end, but Barama and uh, Marek were really good in the middle. Marek kept us in there in the first half, and you know Elijah and, and Tyus and O'Shea, that's what they can. They can play like that. So it's a really good win. Ohio State's really good, and uh, we made some shots, which helps. But I thought our defense was really good. I mean, they got most of their points on the foul line. We did a good job defensively. It was less than 33% shooting for the game for Ohio State. Despite a hot start, they made a couple of threes early and then really cooled off from long range. And that's what the zone is doing. The calculation that they're making is that you're not going to be able to keep up the type of shooting that is going to uh, win the game for you over the course of 40 minutes. And that's uh, how it uh, shook out last night. Coach Beheim laying out the uh, couple of 40-minute performers there with O'Shea Brissett and uh, Tyus Battle. They combined, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Elijah Hughes and Tyus Battle. They combined for 38 points in the game. And Battle, when he's going to the basket, is a problem for virtually everybody that Syracuse lines up against. That is as consistent a play and a move as uh, they have. He's an excellent foul shooter and one of the things we'll get into in this game, and we have Mike Waters uh, coming up here in just a bit on the show, is the free throw disparity, which forget you know whether the game should be officiated that way or whether it was right, wrong, whatever. First of all, I, I will say beyond any qualification, that's not appealing basketball uh, to watch a whistle every 10 seconds. There was a total last night of 45 personal fouls called in the game. 45. Ohio State had three players who each drew nine fouls. Each drew nine fouls. So Caleb Wesson, who's 270 pounds and flopped like a 160-pound European soccer player, drew nine fouls. No surprise, this is the new box score format that some schools have now, and Ohio State's the first one that we've uh, seen this year with it that uh, Syracuse has played. So they tabulate these things. It's no surprise Tyus Battle draws the most fouls. He drew eight fouls of the 17 committed by Ohio State. That's the way it's going to be. You, you foul Tyus Battle because he's a lot to handle and stay in front of. He got to the line. And uh, I would think those types of things would continue, and we might see that play out um, as conference play lays out. But uh, Speaking of that free throw disparity was an area that Coach Beheim indicated not only potentially could have swung this game, but certainly opposite of what we're used to from Syracuse basketball. You know, the foul line just killed us. You know, you had 35 free throws. There's a reason we play zone, and, and at the end of the year, we're usually plus 150 to 200 free throw line. It didn't work out too well tonight for us. Syracuse is the type of program that tends to make more free throws than the opponent takes, which is uh, usually a pretty good sign that things are going your way. Going into the game last night, both teams were way, way ahead of their opposition in free throws attempted. Syracuse nearly double, 29-15, to 15, and Ohio State was 24-14. to 14. So 
both teams used to forcing the action, getting the whistle uh, in their favor, and then taking advantage of it. Syracuse, the last couple of years with this group, has been a very good free throw shooting team. Looks like that could continue and could be a real weapon for them. Coach said Moret kept him in the game in the first half. His have you checked his shooting percentages? Yeah, shoot? it's way up there. I mean, he's he, it was four 60, games before he missed a shot. He was shooting. He's shooting sixty-eight percent from field goal percentage and seventy-five percent from yeah. three-point land. He's so. very selective. He only takes shots that he is certain he's going to make, and uh, that works out well for him. He he's not super aggressive. In fact, Syracuse there's a lot of players that aren't super aggressive. Their best player, you could argue, Tyus Battle, is not super aggressive. When does Tyus Battle ever get it and really push, you know, off a defensive rebound or a, a long loose ball, let's say, out to the top of the key in the backcourt and go? No, he picks his spots. He waits for his teammates or moves up the court methodically with his teammates. There's the occasional opportunity where they really get ahead. There were one last night, I remember, a long pass ahead for an Elijah Hughes basket uh, in transition, beating the defense down the floor. Uh, the Orange don't get a ton of those, and when the offense doesn't look great, it's five guys or four above the arc passing it around, looking for either a three or a driving opportunity, and then the shot clock dwindles and they take a bad shot. That happened a couple of times last night, but not as many as we've seen, certainly saw in the the Madison Square Garden games. When they move the ball, get the drive, force the defense to adjust, maybe get fouled, now you got some things going, and by the way, they can do the first part too. They can stand around and look for a great shot, and when those shots go in, it makes everything look great. Their previous season high in three-pointers made was seven. They made 11 uh, three-pointers last night. And uh, if that keeps up, then obviously this is going to be a really difficult uh, team to beat. Four players in the game yesterday had uh, at least a pair of uh, three-pointers made. So tonight is the Jim Beheim show out at uh, Caravas. Friday is a practice day for the team. Today is two, obviously. And then Saturday the game at night at 8 p.m. start time, the Orange and Cornell. Everybody knows about Jimmy Beheim. Cornell's best player is the best player in uh, the Ivy League, Matt Morgan. Uh, he has been extraordinary and uh, is having his kind of uh, victory lap or final uh, tour here through the league as a senior, and uh, he'll rise up every record list that they have in uh, Ivy League history. We'll tell you more about his story uh, coming up uh, on the game broadcast on Saturday. All right, uh, Mike Waters from Syracuse.com will join us, the Orange uh, basketball beat writer. Uh, his travel back from Columbus as well. We'll check in with him on some of the key themes from the game last night. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can do it at 437-7644-4ESPN44. In the Booth brought to you by CH Insurance on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio, brought to you by CH Insurance. Good to have you along for the ride today on the day after the ACC Big Ten Challenge, which was a rousing success from an overall perspective. Certainly uh, television executives and conference officials, I would think, would be fine with that. Knowing how conference people think, they're probably just were hoping that it would be a push. Obviously, you want better for that, but they don't want uh, anybody embarrassed or anything like that. And it was uh, seven up in the uh, 14 games between the ACC and and the Big Ten, Syracuse knocking off Ohio State and Columbus last night, 72-62. Mike Waters, our friend from Syracuse.com, the uh, Syracuse basketball beat writer and a good one, was there last night, and he joins us now. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you doing? Good, man. Uh, aside just from the game last night, the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, seemed like it was a lot of good uh, programming and good games, and that's uh, just what we're hoping for this time of year, although – 
the uh, conference landscape is changing to such a degree that uh, there's a lot of major conference opponents on the schedules uh, early in the year. Ohio State's next couple of games are Big Ten games. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I was looking at um, the history of uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge, and Ohio State's last win in the challenge was against Maryland when Maryland was a member of the ACC, and of course now Maryland's in the Big Ten. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. It was just a few years ago, but still Ohio State's got a little bit of a losing streak in the challenge. The only thing bad about the ACC Big Ten Challenge, it's kind of similar to when you're covering a team in the NCAA tournament, uh, and the only thing bad about that is is you miss a lot of games. Uh, you don't get the chance to see them all on TV or flip the dial when you're actually at a game and covering it or working afterwards. So, like last night, I, I saw one game, and there were a lot of really good games. Um, but it was still okay. You know, you get to go see one in prison. And, and you had the other two nights of terrific early season college basketball programming. That's right. And uh, one of the great joys of uh, traveling with Coach Saddlin is that we're constantly on our phones for the results of the other games in the travel time. So when you get on that bus after the game, it's immediately scanned. Okay, what did we miss? And, <laughs> hey, Florida State and Purdue are close. And boy, Beeline's uh, really giving it to uh, North Carolina and, and uh, keeping an eye on those. Of course, you can only see so much based on uh, just that little app in your phone and, and what you're picking up on. But good games. And uh, it, it feels like the season is prematurely old. It's only uh, six games in from a Syracuse perspective. But the win last night has people, oh, gee, finally, this is what we've been looking for. Or, you know, this is – and I, I just want to pump the brakes a little bit, saying, hey, nothing is, uh, you know, permanent at this stage, but it certainly was a very good early season road win. Very good win coming on the road. True road game, you know, in the other team's home gym. It wasn't a neutral court or anything. Coming, you know, the fact that it was going to be Syracuse's last chance at a non-conference win away from the Carrier Dome there's nothing you could do about it after last night's game was over, that it was going to be something on your record that if you didn't beat Ohio State, that come March, the NCAA selection committee was going to look at your resume and go, hmm, no non-conference wins away from home, eh? Uh, so you, you take that away, which is good for Syracuse's overall resume down down the line. And so the win itself is good. Uh, you get to, get to take that potential black mark away. Um, you and now Syracuse fans and Syracuse players and coaches too probably are all now rooting like heck for Ohio State. You want the Buckeyes to have the best season they can, and they may. It's uh, hard to say this early in the season. I think Syracuse is a a better team to me than than Ohio State. I, I thought uh, you know if they played again yeah. and again or played a series, I, I think you'd uh, really feel good about Syracuse's chances in that series. Yeah, I really would. Uh, I agree with you because look at everything that went wrong for Syracuse last night. I mean, incredible foul trouble. Uh, yeah, the three guys foul out, but probably the most serious foul trouble was in the first half of the game when O'Shea Brissett picks up three fouls and only plays five minutes in the first half. He's a vital uh, player for Syracuse, and to play without him and to be down at half by only two points, that's pretty incredible. He got off to a really slow start on the road. That's never a recipe for success. So, you know, a lot of things were going bad. It's only Frank Howard's, what, I don't know, how many games has he played now since he's come back? Two. Like you said, the season's kind of getting away from us here. Uh, he's well, he's played second game back. Yeah, he's, he's played it, 43 right? minutes, Mike. And So, you know, it, I mean, yeah. so I agree with you. I think Syracuse proved last night they're better than Ohio State, and I don't think that was a one-time-only deal. I think, uh, and, and you can see from last night's game, where Syracuse can be a much better team than they looked like when they lost those two games down in New York City 
to Oregon and Yukon. We're visiting with Mike Waters from Syracuse.com. Mike's a regular weekly visit here Thursday at 2.15, powered by Driver's Village. Mike, the, the uh, one of the takeaways that somebody pointed out, I think, on the, the way leaving, it might have been Coach Saddle and leaving the game last night, this is a huge step forward off of last year's team, and we kind of talk about it all the time uh, related to depth. Syracuse had three players fouled out and did not use Buddy Bayheim, Howard Washington, Robert Braswell. Last year, had they had three players foul out, Braden Bayer's in the game. You might be in the game right? last year with three guys fouling out. But, yeah, you're right. Braden, Braden Bayer was in the game last year. The, the the second round win over Michigan State in the NCAA tournament. It, Frank Howard goes to the bench, and Jim bayheim has got nobody else to turn to except a former walk-on. Uh, so there is more depth uh, to this to this team. And some of it's depth just by sheer numbers, and some of it's depth by versus have a Marek Dolashai who can play multiple positions. You've got Elijah Hughes who can play multiple positions. Tyus Battle, same thing. Uh, so, uh, you know, versatility, you know, depth can come in a lot of different shapes and forms. Uh, last night, you saw that depth play out. I, I thought the one loss that when, that when Syracuse lost Frank Howard last night, the difference between this year and last year is last year, Braden Bear had to go in and you were just crossing your fingers that he'd just kind of hold his own out there. Last night, Jalen Carey goes in. He's a top 50 recruit. He's a guy that played in the, or didn't play in the Jordan Classic because he was hurt, but he was nominated for the Jordan Classic. And, you know, Jalen Carey goes out there and holds his own on the road against a, a veteran backcourt at Ohio State. So it's all good signs for Syracuse, what came out of last night. No question. You know, the, the, especially the rocky start to me that I, I, felt, I felt good about Syracuse's chances before the game. Okay. Paulie's mm-hmm. my witness. But then, you know, first TV timeout, I'm saying, eh, I don't really know. I mean, you know, when Coach Beheim had a comment after the game, and I don't like telling tales out of school, but we have certain access. I, I'll pick and choose uh, what I share about that. But when the reason he's upset about giving up a lob and basically the first play of the game or the second play of the game is they talked about it at three o'clock in the afternoon. This is what's going to happen to open the game. This right. is a play that you need to guard against. This is when. The uh, you know the opposing setter when he uh, you know basically pushes you up to this point watch out that along the back so I can understand that that would be very frustrating from a, a coaching standpoint and as many missteps as there are there those guys Chuku Sidibe and when Dolajai is in there they're so long and active that good things tend to come from it still. I agree and generally do and and you're right about you know Jim being mad right right early on. Pascal didn't do what he was supposed to do, what he had been told to do. Like you said, been told exactly what Ohio State was going to try to do, and he went out there and he didn't carry out his test. He's going to come out of the game. He's going to, you know, because obviously he's not mentally ready to play. 28 and then seconds. And goes in and he makes a similar mistake, well, he's coming out and guess what? Marek's going to get a shot. Because, I mean, um, you know, right at the very beginning of the game is exactly when the other team is going to try to do exactly what its coach told it to do against the zone. So they are going to be right down to the last letter of the formula to beat that zone. So if it's enter it, high post, look down, dump pass, that's exactly what they're going to do. So if you're the Syracuse players, you come out and you go, well, at the very, very beginning of the game, that's when these guys are going to know, you know, they're going to remember. You know, they're going to remember exactly what they went over. 
and that little lob to this, the, you know, that lob from the one guard crowd across court to the guy. How many times do we see teams do that? And usually they do it early in the game. So, you know, it, some, sometimes, you know, when you've seen the team as long as you have <laughs> and you see a guy make a mistake like that, you don't even have to look towards the bench to know that Jim Beheim's A, mad, <laughs> and B, looking for a sub. <laughs> yeah. No, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, he's not going to pull any punches either at that point when it's when a guy gets pulled 28 seconds into the game, too, as you say, that's for not for one mistake. It's for lack of preparation mentally yeah. uh, to be ready at the start of the game. But uh, but God love those guys. I mean, they find a way. Uh, you know, Barama winds up being something like plus 15 in the game. He played 12 minutes, <laughs> you know. He played, he, yeah, exactly right. He was credited with 11 and a half minutes of playing time, and he's plus 15 um, on the scorecard. He fouled out. So, it didn't take a shot, you know, but, but uh, finds a way to to contribute positively, and uh, seems like some good things there. Now, the non conference. Can I add something? Yes, Matt, sir. Of course. Since we're on the subject of the That's why we have you on. Kind of, Marek Dolajai, he didn't have the plus minus that Barama did. Barama's plus minus, you're correct, was fifteen. Marek's is four, but Marek's plus four comes at a large part of that first half when Syracuse was struggling, when O'Shea Brissett went out of the game and didn't play for 15 minutes. And Marek saved Syracuse early on. He knocked down those two three-pointers in the first half. And this is a guy who last season made two three-pointers all year long. And Marek goes out there, and he finishes with eight points before Fallon out of the game. He got him three rebounds. He battled that 275-pound Caleb Wesson. As, as well as he could. I mean, and, and Marek is 180 pounds. He was giving away 90 pounds. And, you know, so a lot of credit, I think, should go to Marek, even though, like, you know, his plus minus is only plus four, but still, it was plus four at a critical juncture in that game for Syracuse. Have you ever seen a 270-pounder hit the deck uh, with more ease than <laughs> Caleb Wesson? I think we can consider that a flop. Uh, <laughs> there's no way in the world he got knocked down. <laughs> and, and think about giving away 90 pounds against some guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and trying your best just to kind of, And the best thing they did was is you know just stay between him and the basket and put your hands up. And you know Marek is six ten, Baram is six ten. Uh, you know they were all just a little taller than Weston. And you put those arms up and you make it just that much harder for that guy to try to shoot over you. Now, if he was able to get his elbow around the guy and muscle him out of the way, there's nothing Marek was going to be able to do about that. But still, I, I thought they did a really good job, or at least the best they could against him down low. Okay, let's turn our attention to what's next, Mike. Uh, before we have you on another time, uh, next Thursday there will be that uh, Tuesday night game against Northeastern. But, of course, before that, Saturday night, the uh, Bayheim Bowl Part 2 and uh, this time it's two-on-one as uh, Buddy will square off against Jimmy on the court at the same time, which will be awesome. And I'm sure the uh, Syracuse.com is uh, getting Julie and doing some, some lead-up uh, work and, and reporting on it. Uh, wh- what do we think we're going to see on that night? Well, we'll probably see Julie in some sort of, uh, you know, cut in half sweater. Yeah. Where half of it'll be red, half it'll be orange, or or something like that. She's too or, fashionable for that. Trust me. It'll, yes, you it, know, it, it I, won't I, clash. I'm sure something's coming uh, from from somewhere along those lines. I'm uh, speaking of, uh, of of haberdashery. I'm really interested to see if Cornell spells Bayheim right on on Jimmy's jersey. <laughs> Uh, it is a road game for Cornell, and I'm, you know, so hopefully we've got that straightened out by the Big Red. 
Uh, I'm sorry, that was a cheap joke, but you know, <laughs> you got to take it when you can. It was um, there for you. You know, Jim's having a good, pretty good year down there at Cornell. Um, you know, early on, he, he's he's playing a key role. Uh, we all remember last year when he hit the first shot of the game right there in front of the Syracuse bench, um, hit the three pointer from the corner, uh, which was really a, a terrific moment. Um, but he hasn't, you know, didn't play against Ohio State. Uh, his minutes have been reduced after getting off to kind of a shaky start shooting wise. But I think the game on Saturday night should afford him an opportunity to get back on the floor and get more than just a, you know, a, a spare minute or two here or there and maybe see if he can knock down a shot or two to kind of get him going again. Try to th- Is there any precedent that we're aware of of them being on opposite teams ever? The two, the, Jimmy and, and Buddy? Yeah. Boy, that's a good question. I, and one that had not come to my mind. The, what I had been asked before was, has any coach – coached a game in which he had one son on his team and another son on the other team. And I'm sure there's a lot of examples, but I, when, once I came up with one, I stopped looking. Tubby Smith, when he was at Kentucky, Kentucky I had his Georgia. son Saul playing for him, and his other son Gigi was still at Georgia, where Tubby had coached previously. Gigi decided not to transfer. He had the opportunity to, but he, he had developed friends, and he knew the new coach coming in. So yes, there 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 are examples of that. I think it's really intriguing, and I, you know, I did a story before the season started on coaches coaching their sons or sons playing for their dads, and I talked to both uh, Gigi and and Tubby and got some great stories there. But uh, it was those guys that reminded me that that there there has been at least one occasion where a coach coached one son uh, on his team and coached against the other in the same night. Yeah, the only other one I would think to look at would be the Sutton family that. You know, but the, the, there was there more than one. Sean he played at Oral Roberts, and then uh, who knows? But it's that it <laughs> Sean and Scott. There you go. That's getting uh, pretty into the weeds. But uh, <laughs> it, it will... I don't think so because I think the son that started with with uh, Eddie at Kentucky transferred with him to Oklahoma State. But like you said, the one started as a. Kind of a walk on at Oral Roberts and Trainer. Yeah, well, yeah, great, Matt. Now you're going to there. Make you go. That there, there goes your afternoon. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the link on it. We can. I can meet you in the middle. I can help you out with it. All right, uh, Michael. Looking forward to uh, Saturday night. We'll see you there at the dome. Okay. All right, Matt. Good talking to you as always. We'll that, see you. That's the great Mike Waters, Syracuse basketball beat writer for Syracuse.com, powered by Drivers Village. We'll have Mike on uh, every Thursday. Tommy Smith, kids. All play for him, or did they split schools? Well, that's what we were just talking about. Yeah, yeah, I know that's it. Uh, but I mean, Tubby, Saul Smith, Smith and Gigi Smith. Gigi's older. He was at Georgia. Tubby got the job going yeah. from Georgia to Kentucky. Saul so played at Kentucky play. only. Yeah. Well, that's what you're just saying. That was the example of when uh, they would have played against one another, um, but we're struggling to come up with any other example. You know, the, I'm trying to think of a. a it's one thing for a coach to have one son to play at this level, to have multiple. Even thinking of coaches that have multiple kids playing, it, there's not that many. You know, Jim Barron comes to mind. You know, would his kids have played one another? I don't think so. He, you know, coached at, at different schools, Canisius and Rhode Island, and the one Barron played at Virginia and uh, bounced around. So uh, I don't care enough, <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't care I know, enough to, to, to dig a lot, a lot further to find uh, – a great deal of precedent for it, but um, it, because here's the thing: this is unique, and there's not enough opportunities. You know where I'm going to go sit here and dig and looking for it. I kind of want it to be unique, and uh, the thing I would say about 
the Bayheim Bayheims is that that is a family that's very public in our community and has been for a very long time. So the Bayheim boys have been adopted by the community to an extent. I was just getting in the car on the way down here listening to the previous show when a caller calls in and I think was asking, you know, why didn't Buddy play, play last night and getting an explanation? And yes, people always call talk radio shows to discuss why so-and-so didn't play, but I think it's a little different when it's why didn't our guy play, the the local and the son of the coach and they, you know, and I understand they refer to everybody by the first name. It's just a little different with Buddy and uh, there will be a close eye on him. It's why you cannot take lightly his choice to play here. Uh, this is not going to be a cakewalk for him yeah, all the time. That was not an easy choice. <laughs> no, didn't take uh, the easy road, that's for sure. Not at all. You know, it's easy in some respects and, and, yeah. and not easy in, in many others. And, uh, you know, we'll see how this plays out. I, I think the reason it makes Coach Beheim nervous, and I saw a quote from Julie in the Daily Orange today. Uh, the students did a nice nice job uh, reporting that too, and where she's talking about how great a blessing it is for their family. 100%, absolutely. It's a blessing for any family to have uh, three college athletes and, and uh, two competing on the same floor and pl- playing for the father. It's awesome. Um, I think Jim Beheim, the elder, sort of feels like, hey, this is awkward. This could only go poorly. Uh, that, you know, his allegiances are divided in some way. He doesn't want to beat his kids. He doesn't want to beat his former coaches. You know, that type of thing. He wants to see everybody uh, excel. And the fact of the matter is, in major college athletics, not everybody has a, a smooth ride. And Buddy is finding out it's hard, you know. And, and Buddy's a great shooter, but he's not started off that well. And and uh, I think they they would be happy to see both players have you know reasonably decent games here you know if if buddy scores eight and jimmy scores 14 i, I could see them you know now let's take the uh the family picture in front of the scoreboard and let's get out of here <laughs> you know nobody gets hurt nobody embarrasses one another nobody uh takes a bunch of extra shots that they miss and and that type of thing but uh in theory they should uh do this three years in a row because uh neither players going anywhere and syracuse and cornell play every year so uh let's hope that it does play out that way all right overdue for a break here we'll come back with do we care with tommy in a bit your phone calls welcome at 437-7644 in the booth on espn radio do we care interesting i doubt it no way the other thing tedious but we will do this segment anyway don't care anymore don't care no more so greg robinson has been hired to be the defensive coordinator at unc and yes it's that greg robinson the one that coached here at syracuse from 2005 to 2008, and his tenure was not all that good. As a head coach. As a head uh, coach. His defensive resume, uh, coordinator resume is uh, mixed, but has more good than he's probably given credit for. You know, th- this is uh, surprising, except that Mac Brown has always hired Greg Robinson. Had him at uh, Texas, had him at Texas as recently as 2013. Uh, in which a season where Greg Robinson made a pretty good impact in the stretch run of the season there. Uh, and obviously their defense was very good in uh, 2004 as well. Uh, this is really interesting, you know, from this standpoint, and I understand that Greg Robinson's name is a joke uh, around here now, which is a little unfortunate given that he's a uh, good human being, tremendous family. Dominic, uh, I haven't seen in a while, but I think still lives and does uh, great work on the near north side here in Syracuse and is raising his family here. So that's uh, tremendous. Greg Robinson's record as a head coach obviously is awful. 
uh, it just didn't go right here and did not click uh, in four years. As a defensive coordinator, I think you got to give him credit for some of the impact he's made and his willingness to do this. Uh, whether this will be successful, I don't know. He and Mac Brown uh, combined at this point, at their age, etc. But uh, you wish him well. I'm happy for him and a family on a personal level, and it's a great opportunity uh, for him to, to be there. And What a great place to be, Chapel Hill. You look at the last sort of legit full-time D coordinator job he had, it was at San Jose State who's never won before him or after him and has barely ever made a bowl. In 2013, San Jose State's defense ranked 103rd. Under Greg Robinson, the next year it ranked 32nd. The year after that, 34th. The year after that, when he was no longer the coordinator, 88th. He made them better in his time there, and San Jose State now is awful. Okay, so... In a place that doesn't have a lot of people and doesn't, you know, he he did something right. The guy was in the NFL for a long time. People who know football and hire coaches hired him and retained him. He was doing something right. It just didn't work out here um, to disastrous effect that we talk about regularly because it's taken a while for the Orange to uh, to dig out of a hole that was uh, buried into at that point um, from 2005 to 2008. So uh, this is. A bit of a risk in some ways for Mac Brown, but I'm sure he thinks it's not a risk at all because of the shorthand they must have between the two of them, the camaraderie certainly between the two. They're very close friends. They're in lockstep. They're similar people with similar backgrounds. They're good good folks, good gentlemen, and uh hope it works for him. Two Super Bowl rings as a defense coordinator, yeah, right? Yeah, they don't just give those out. Sure. He did have John Elway as his quarterback. But. Yeah, I mean, he had a lot of things. I mean, and yeah. and, and I, I get all the jokes, and I know all the, the pot shots that are uh, taken at uh, at Greg Robinson, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, he was not successful here by any measure. Um, had some different things to deal with and didn't have quite the the benefit, I think, of some of his successors either. Um, but I, there's no real way that you can look at that objectively and say that he was a successful head coach here. So... Uh, and he hadn't been a head coach before or since, and it's just uh, some people aren't maybe uh, cut out for it. But I think he has something to add to a staff at this point for as long as he's been around and the way he uh, goes about it. I think he's better suited to be a an assistant than a head coach, and Mac Brown, I think, knows what he's doing, but uh, the results will speak for themselves. Some more, some more coaching carousel news, or I guess in this case a coach that decided not to go on. Um, Jeff Brom, he turned down the job at Louisville. He went to Louisville. He's from Louisville. So this came as somewhat of a surprise. But the high school that he actually attended in Louisville received a bomb threat after he turned down this Louisville job. Classes got canceled today at the high school. School canceled for the day. Not a good look for Louisville. Yeah, that's a big-time understatement. I mean, it's just insane. This is completely ridiculous. Uh and who knows whether it's legit or not. These types of things have to be treated as legitimate for the safety yeah. of all concerned. But the knucklehead that called up and said, well, because Jeff Brom didn't choose to come back to the school that I wanted to coach at, I'm, you're, you're absolutely not fit to live in society. Uh, I, you know, I think it's interesting that, that Brom uh, decides to stay. He's thinking, look, I put all this work into building Purdue. I, I like the future we have here. Uh the resources, et cetera, and he's going to try to get something out of his investment of time and, and elbow grease to go to Louisville where, yep, they've you know got some things built in. It's home and some other, other stuff. Louisville will be there for him potentially. He could have the job the next time around if, if it, it makes sense. 
Uh, it's still always going to be his home and the place where he played college. I think it's telling right now that he feels like his best course of action to have a competitive team in the next couple of years is Purdue more than Louisville. So uh, interesting to see a call made like that because I think so often we assume these slam dunks that everybody wants to go home, and it's not always that easy. It was actually a tweet that somebody tweeted out, and the person, they know who did it, and made the threat that he was going to burn the school down. Wow. Purdue's actually on the opposite side of uh, you know Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Penn State, so they have a legitimate shot to have some success in the Big Ten, and maybe that is a better job at Louisville right now. Well, it's a better place to be successful. You know, sure. if, if you if let's say if you're going to make your way to second in the division, you'd rather be second in the division in the Big Ten than in the the ACC, probably. Yeah. Uh, you know, Louisville's got a lot of positives. Purdue uh, feels like it doesn't. Purdue isn't quite as flashy, you know, as Louisville, but it, it's just a different sort of sensibility. Purdue, I think, has made some improvements recently in their facilities and the the types of things they're doing. And I think in Brahm's case, he doesn't want to walk away from something he spent a lot of time creating to go to a place where right now it's as volatile as it is at Louisville. It's not an automatic that the next coach at Louisville is going to succeed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Louisville Courier Journal has a name on their list after after Brahm said no. Uh Uh-oh. Pauly Sevilla. Close, same town. Daniel Baldwin. Very close. Same initials. <laughs> uh, People no. don't switch in conference very often, by the way. Yes, that's true. It's not, not completely unprecedented. but. And they're saying that he's last on the list because of that, and uh, the contract buyout is probably prohibitive for Louisville. Not even going to... Address it? the subject. Well, I, I don't. I mean, but he's going to come up in every list. I, well, every here's school. the thing: a lot of people doing these writing, and just like us, we're just ballparking and and speculating. Um, what are you talking about? Buyout is prohibitive. First of all, I don't know what the buyout yeah. is here. I don't think Louisville. You know, they don't have quite as much money as they used to, and they've got some issues there, obviously. But th- that's where the, the knucklehead the the over-the-top passion of the fan base works in their favor. Because some idiot sends a bomb threat tweet, they have some other idiot that they call up and they say, hey, we need $4 million to go get this new coach. Yeah, That's how it works. And um, I, I think Louisville will be able to, you know, can they sustain it like some of these other places and Texas A&M and, you know, that kind of, they're not quite at that level, you know, in terms of money. But I, I think they'll... Find what they need to do. Luke Fickle on the on the list, and we've got thirty yeah, seconds before we gotta wrap uh, wrap the whole show. Okay. Right. On your last one there, uh, Tommy, the Mike sure. Leach yeah. uh, class offer. Uh, he's just an interesting dude, and uh, this would be a heck of a class. Yeah, to, he could teach a class on. about anything. He's talking about uh, teaching a class with uh, the senator there, an insurgent uh, warfare and football strategy. Yeah, that'd be interesting. He could teach a class on being a pirate, which would be. Interesting. He would be very interesting, well. too. All right, thank from. you, uh, Tommy, for uh, Tommy Hogan, Paulie Sibilia, Matt Park saying so long. Back at the show tomorrow at 2. Jim Beheim show tonight at Carabas right here on ESPN Radio.